Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. with today's show. I hope you all had an amazing Christmas. Before uh, I bring on Jay, we are going to personally thank our audiences for the last couple of years of supporting us. We're about to launch some amazing things before the end of the year, and we're just grateful to you for supporting us. We're grateful to our, our United Nations and our partnership. We're grateful to the nonprofit organizations and everyone that we have worked with and they have worked with us to make life better for youth, education, family, just everything. So without further ado, we're going to bring on Mr. J. Logan. Mr. Logan, how are you? I am doing wonderful, wonderful today. It's uh, nice and cloudy out here in San Francisco, and everybody is preparing, preparing for New Year's Eve, bringing in this wonderful 2016 we're all ready to go out here, but, you know, you guys get it first, of course. <laughs> well, you know, I tell you, Jay, we're we're ready. You know, this was not a bad year. This was a year of growth, I think, a, a, a really huge year of growth for all of us, I believe. And I think 2016 is only going to be, I think, even better. I mean, bar none, a couple of things that, you know, worldwide we have to, country and also with other countries, you know, humanity just has to come together more, and we have to really look for solutions. But I think, barring that, I have to agree with you, 2016, we're really ready for it, and um, I'm ready for it, too. I'm, I'm really ready for it, too. And um, I'm going to enjoy 2016, you know, releasing 2015, actually. What about you? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this year. Um this has always been a great year for us when we get to the sixth year because we're in the middle of everything. So, you know, listen, Gil, um, Savoy, we will be having a wonderful year this year, and everybody needs to just stay tuned because we're getting ready to rock it. <laughs> are we not, you know? Um, are we not? Well, you know, Jay, um, I know we're running just slightly behind time with our schedule. So if you wouldn't mind giving our audience for the next three minutes the news, if you wouldn't mind. I sure will. Um, hi, everybody, and Happy New Year's to you guys. 
Um, today's news is uh, we're going to talk about preschool without walls. And you're probably wondering what that is. You're probably saying, well, what is a preschool without walls? Well, in the University of Washington and a lot of the, uh, the people that live in the state of Washington where Microsoft is, they have this new thing where the kids are now being taught uh, outside in nature. And um, they can play outside and they can learn uh, what the universe is about, which is great because, you know, when I was in preschool, you know, I had to stay in with my classmates and we kind of lived, we all learned out the brick building. Well, this is thinking outside of the building and it's a new way of teaching. Um, it's a school without walls and if the kids can play outside and they can, they have, uh, since it's this place where they're learning at uh, the University of Washington, they can rain or shine, they can go out there and um and work, and this is called Fiddleheads Forest School. Heads Forest School. Um, it's a lot of kids are waiting to go to this school uh, to learn. It's a different way of learning. It's thinking outside of the box, and I just think Seattle is doing a great thing, you know, up there. And you can kind of um, have your kids learn their ABCs under the trees, nesting amongst the towers. So, you know, of the University of Washington's Botanic Gardens. So if this is something that you guys uh, would like your kids to do, where well, they'll learn outside, um, there are cons and pros. So I always thought about this, Gail. If my kid was learning outside, let's say if Janina was two or three or four or five, I'll be one worried about you know bugs and things like that. But I guess you know up here at this um, this school, they don't worry about those things, and they're just out there nesting among the towers of the trees. They're learning. Um, and a lot of the kids are five and four years old, and I just think it's wonderful. I think I wish I would have went to a school like that. Um, um, it's founded by Kit Harrington. Uh, she's a certified preschool teacher, and Sarah Heller. Uh, she's a naturalist and science educator. So Fiddleheads, it's uh, it's, it's it's part of a, a a larger national trend, you know, and it's, it's emphasized on outdoor play. Even even if the weather is kind of bad, now I don't I don't expect the kids to be playing out there in snowstorms. But you know they learn how to do things like grow vegetables, you know, feed farm animals, um, um, and you know. And then they have many many uh, acres of wildlife, and uh, you know it, it also saves money. You don't need electricity out there. You're using the sun, and you're kind of using nature, you know, and kind of taking us back to how you know, the Native Indians and how we did in the past before we had these big institutions of school. So you guys out there, look out for this preschool without walls. Um, now, I don't know how well this will work in New York with, the, you know, snow and stuff. You're going to have some kind of protection. But out there in Washington, state of Washington, seems like they're having a ball. Uh, furthermore, um, we'll talk about that. We always talk about the flying car. So I got this one from Gail. Um, the future of connected cars. Okay, so what that means is now these new cars, not the flying ones, but I bet the flying ones will be able to do this too. You'll be able to take your cell phone, and it will download all your cell phone information into your car. It also has a smart cam in the car. So if you are talking on the phone or you're looking in the back or trying to reach in the back seat of your car, the car will alarm you and say, ah, 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 don't do that, which will make safe driving a little bit more fun. Um, you can connect several iPhones and play all your music. If you talk to the car and tell the car to roll the windows down or roll them up, the car will, will respond. So this kind of reminds me of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Now, you guys might not know about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, 
But Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was a wonderful car that did all these neat things, and the car was alive. Well, now in the future here, we're kind of in that era where the car connects to mobile technology, and by 2017, 60% of all cars will connect to mobile technology. Now, that's good and pros and cons of this. Uh, The good thing is that, you know, your car knows everything you do. The bad thing is the car knows everything you do. (laughs) So if you're not watching or you get in an accident, the car is going to tell on you. If you were speeding, guess what? The car is going to tell on you. Uh, One of the good things about this is the car steers clear of traffic, so it will help congested traffic situations where the car was told to take an alternative route. This will make traffic better in our metropolitan cities. Um, There's some good things about this, and then there's some other things. If you don't want nobody to know what you're doing in your car, you might not want this in your car, and you might just, you know, use one of those old hoopties you had your grandfather left you. But if these new cars, they're going to have this mobile technology. You guys beware because it's coming, and it's going to be fun. Your car will interact with everything you do. Um, you, you know, so that's a, that's a great thing. Um, the last bit of news is uh, very interesting. Spotify slammed with a $150 million lawsuit for unpaid royalties. Yes. Um, musician David Lurie, he's, uh, he's suing the music streaming site, Spotify, for illegally distributing several of his copyrighted songs. Uh, um, Lurie, the front man for bands Cracker and Camper, Van Den Beethoven, he's seeking a minimum, and that's a minimum of $150 million in in damages. And according to the complaint brought by Mr. Laurie, um, Spotify has legally streamed copyrighted music for over 75 million users and has failed to locate the owners of those compositions for payment. Um, Laurie has represented a group of over 100 other members who are also reported frustrated with the streaming service, making this a class action lawsuit. The lawsuit was filed on December 28th at the Central District Court of California, by um, which, which is the state I'm in. Um, so Spotify has admitted it's failed to obtain licenses and created a reserve fund for somewhere between $17 million and $25 million of royalty payments, which have been wrongfully withheld from artists. But apparently they want more. Um, so, you know, it's just take – we're going to – we're going to um, – Keep this story um, going, me and Gail. We're going to find out where this goes because this could be very damaging to streaming uh, companies. And this is going to have to put them on their feet. Yes, this is going to have to put them on their Well, that is great, Jay. And sorry to interrupt, but we do have our guest on the line. And I am so excited to have Craig Newmark. Very excited. What about you, Jay? Oh, yeah, I'm so excited. This is wonderful. And especially as a, around this time of year, just to have him take his time out to come on our show. I'm very excited, and I'm very pleased. Same here. So without further ado, we are going to bring on Mr. Craig Newmark. Mr. Newmark, how are you? Hey, folks, I'm doing uh, well, and I'm glad to be here. Well, thank you for taking your time and being with us today, sir. Oh, it's my we- pleasure. Thank you. You know, we hope you enjoyed your Christmas as well, Craig. Um, it was uh, uneventful with family, and I uh, managed to get through it. <laughs> okay, Craig. 
Well, Craig, we, what we tell every guest is that we know there's so much we'd love to ask you, and in this 20, 18 to 20 minutes that we have with you, we know we can't get everything. So we just ask that you would answer the questions, you know, uh, the answers to each question so that we don't get all the goodies too quickly before we can ask you other questions. Is that okay with you? Sure. Okay. So, Craig, you know, um, if, if I'd like you to meet the co-host, Mr. J. Logan. Mr. J. Logan, this is Craig Newmark. Hey, Craig. Nice to meet you. Hey, it's my pleasure, Jay. <laughs> so, you know, Craig, when we uh, kind of went down memory lane, you know, reading about you, it was so amazing to learn so many amazing things about you. And one of the things that we learned about you is that you're a very hardworking person, Okay from the time you were a young man. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, when you were younger, here it was, you know, we learned that, unfortunately, your father had passed and your your mom had to, at that time, move you and your siblings into an apartment. And so you worked very hard to, you know, uh, go to school and everything. I wanted to ask you something. Did you ever think, when you look back to that young man who was working very hard, a young man 13, 14, and 15, that this would be the life that you have now, you know, starting Craigslist, giving back to others. Did you ever think that this would be your life now? Uh, I had no clue as to the, the uh, direction my life would change. Back then, I thought I'd be uh, a quantum physicist or something like that. That uh, changed when I learned how hard physics was in my first year of college. Okay. And eventually, I realized I would have to have a job. So I went into computers, but now uh, most of what I do is public service and philanthropy, as well as uh, customer service. Wow. Well, I know Jay has a question for you. Yes, I do, and Craig, I'm so excited, you know, about you being here again. Uh, my question to you is, as a as a young man growing up before Craigslist, what did you learn as life lessons that supported you in creating uh, as far as I could tell, when I was still in Sunday school, uh, two things. Treat people like you want to be treated. And also know, uh, know when enough is enough. I mean, after you make a certain amount of money for yourself and your, and your family, baby friends, it's more satisfying to make a difference. Interesting. You know, that's a very interesting point that you made, Craig. You know, after you make a certain amount, you know, about giving back, you know, my question is, the life lessons you learned along the way, along the way how did it prepare you to step into entrepreneurship versus working for another company? Um, basically, the big principle, you know, the golden rule about treating people like you want to be treated, that guided, well, that guided my uh actual actions when it came to starting uh, Craigslist and then uh, proceeding with it. The deal was that instead of doing something that looked cool that people might want, I actually did something, then talked to people about it, uh, changed what I was doing, then talked with people about it and changed. And that's the pattern we continue to this day, although frankly, uh, in the year 2000, I turned over management to people who were good at it because, frankly, as a manager, I kind of suck. And uh, 
the people who run the company now are much better than I about it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we have, we have to go into that part a little more because I would like to know more about that. Uh, but my question, Craig, to you now is, you know, being on the other side of owning your own companies, how, how is it different for you than working for another? I uh, like the liberties that I've been able to grant myself working for my own thing because it meant I had the freedom, for example, to set my own hours. I mean, I work more than 40 hours, but those are when I choose, and I can work pretty much wherever I am as long as I'm connected to the Internet, which means I work at home a lot, I work at uh, a coffee place, that kind of thing. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, you know, I this this is something I'd like to know. Being on the other side of owning your own company, how is it? It may sound the same, but it's actually different, Craig. Being on the side of now owning your uh, uh, companies, how is it different from when you were working for someone else? Oh, basically, well, I'm in. I'm mostly in control of my own fate. I don't have to work for a manager who may not uh, be prepared to actually be a manager. If you ever read the comic strip uh, Dilbert, and uh, if you would uh, take a look at how the pointy hair manager works, unfortunately, I may have had uh, too many pointy-haired managers, and I'm afraid I may have been one for a while. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. I know Jay has a question for you. Okay. Um, I wanted to know, um, do you think a business plan is really needed to start a business? I think you have to have a uh, good idea of what you're going to be doing, which you might uh, write down as an informal business plan. The problem is that as soon as you write a business plan down and try to make it formal, that's when things start going wrong. I think the uh, the expression is something like uh, "man plans and God laughs." <laughs> yeah, well. or in the military, something like "no battle plan ever survives contact with the enemy," which is to say, no, have a good mm. idea of what you're doing, and then be prepared to change when you need to. Interesting. Um, you know, I'd like to ask you something. Journalism seems to be near and dear to your heart, going going into another area. Can you tell us why? Um, In uh, high school history class, my teacher, Mr. Shulsky, was really good talking about the Bill of Rights and the role of the press. The way I like to say that now is that a trustworthy press is the immune system of democracy. If uh, we're going to survive as a republic, we need a, a press you know, like newspapers and TV, that uh, tell us the truth. And that's kind of hard to find now. But instead of complaining about it, I figured I'd try to help the professionals who are helping out. Okay. Got it. Um, Craig, what, is, what, is, what do you think or what is missing in journalism today? Um, what is missing in a lot of places is accountability per a code of ethics. That is that, uh, you know, every news outlet 
should have a code of ethics, they can start with a pretty good one at the Society of Professional Journalists. And then I think news outlets need to commit to following through with that code of ethics. But again, I'm an outsider. I'm just a news consumer. I just want news I can trust. And so I'd suggest looking at some of the best commentary on this, which still continues to come through maybe the most trusted newsman in America, a guy named John Stewart. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. You, um, you know, Craig, you know, we know that you like to give back. You you just shared something about how you like to give back. We'd like to know how did you get you know, how did you get into give the passion of giving back to humanity? What fuels your passion? Um Fundamentally, it comes down to the idea that I can make a difference by helping people who are themselves making a real difference. You know, I'm a, I don't know how smart I really am, and I don't have a lot of energy ever, but if I locate groups who are really good at doing something I believe in, then I can help them both with influence and social media help and sometimes cash. So... If I locate those groups, then help them out, that makes a difference. For example, uh, I'm doing a lot of work now with voting rights groups because I think that's going to be really important during the next 11 months or so. Wow, okay. So, um, so Greg, I want to know, what is next for you? Um, what's next for me is getting a lot smarter about how to help, again, help the people in good groups be more effective in areas that I believe in. And I have a feeling a lot of that will be how to help them use social media and maybe broadcast media a lot better. So I've started to do that, but I have a lot to learn. And I'm a, you know, I'm a nerd, and I'm not too good at anything involving communications so I usually have to learn the hard way. Wow. Okay. You know, Craig, what I think, uh, um, what, what we love about you and, and your sharing is your honesty, all right? Because many people would not be honest about what they still have to learn and, you know, what they've gone about doing it. Um, I, I have a question for you. One of the things I love to study is, why is it, you know, how we look at success, how we measure success? And why is it, you know, success is always looked at in the, the value of money rather to me than coming together in humanity, humanitarian ways. And when I say that, you know, coming together to create different things and collaborating. And I have a question for you. What do you think is the difference between the person who is an entrepreneur, right? They're going along the way. They have a good heart. They're motivated. They want to make a difference, you know, in whatever they're providing of a service or product. And they're, they're still struggling along the way. While the other person somehow is doing well and moves up the ladder to not only generate the, um, the, the monetary value, but they're also generating the people value. What is the difference, do you think, between those two people who may be doing the same things but one seems to be gaining the results and moving forward more than the other? Um, it's hard to say. My guess, and this is just a guess, is that, uh, well, in Sunday school or somewhere, 
I think we all learned to treat people like we want to be treated. And we all learned somehow that money really can't uh, make you happy. And Mm -hmm. there are people who remember that. And then there are people who kind of uh, forget it. And I am trying in my actions to remind people that really you should treat people like you want to be treated. And also the way I say it now is that no one really needs a billion dollars. I do think you want to make enough to live comfortably. And you do want to make enough to uh, you know, help your family, whether it's your parents or siblings or cousins. But after you do that, then maybe it's time to make a difference. I think I need to do better at that. Um, but I'm trying. Okay, Jay, I just have one more last question that I think our audience wants to hear, then please feel free. Um, one, Craig, one of the things I wanted to ask you, you said it earlier, and I wanted to hit on something. You said, you know, I, I did what I needed to do in making what I wanted to make, and now I want to give back and to others. How can other people make those choices, too? Now, I know that you can't make those choices for them by sharing that on the radio, but how can other people, you know, that's a very powerful and, and, and a lot, it takes a lot of courage to do that, all right? And not many people can do that. So I acknowledge you for that. But how can others take that on? Because they don't, you know, like you said, it's not about everyone needs to make a, a lot of money. You can you can have your passion or be giving back to society and, and showing other people how they can do the same while still living comfortably. How would you share with people to begin that trend for themselves? Well, first, a person, you know, they have to take care of their responsibilities. Like, well, if you're a single mom raising a couple of uh, kids, that may chew up all your time and resources. But there are a lot of people, particularly in the Bay Area, and particularly doing Internet technology work, once you provide for a family and maybe friends and all that, at that point, take a look at what other people are doing. Um, like maybe take a look at CrowdRise, maybe take a look, take a look at how I'm doing it on my site, CraigConnects.org. But the deal is that figure out what you believe in, find people who are doing a good job supporting that, and then uh, just helping the, just help them out. Uh, specifically, like. I help out uh, veterans groups and military family groups a lot. And uh, what I'm doing and encouraging other people to do is if you want to thank a vet, if you want to help out, um, well, help vets get jobs and vote. Because if you want to uh, thank someone who served the country, the least you can do is vote. I know it's hard if you're working a really tough uh, nine-to-five job or if you're working two jobs, in, that, in those cases, I recommend uh, registering and, and voting by mail. But the deal is there's always something to do. But first things first, if you got a family you got to take care of, uh, that does come first. All right. And um, I know that Jay has a question for you, too, as well. Sure. Yes, um, I have a question, if you don't mind. What type of philanthropy interests do you have? And could you tell us a little bit about Like-Minded Inc.? What was the first part of the question? Uh, What type of philanthropy interests do you have? uh, Basically, I'm supporting groups in a whole bunch of areas, 
focusing on five initiatives like helping out veterans, helping trustworthy journalism, um, helping uh, women in technology, uh, those kinds of things. The deal is on uh, philanthropies that, you know, I'm focusing on charities that actually do a really good job of helping people out. The like-minded thing is something that uh, the company helped get going, but honestly, I haven't interacted with them in uh, like five years or more. Wow. Okay. okay. And, um, you know, our last question to you is one of the things we love doing, Craig, is inspiring young people, okay? And we like, uh, this is our very last question to you. What ways do you enjoy inspiring young people? And I mean, like, really from the heart for you. What is that? Um, man, millennials are a lot different than people of uh, my generation. I'm a boomer. And as a nerd, for that matter, I have no instinct for social skills. Uh, so I can only guess and tell uh, young people to get good at social media and then to get even better and to start working with other people doing social media to stand up for what you believe in. Because things are changing. Things are changing really fast. And the only way things get better for everyone is for people of goodwill to work together. And so it's really up to uh, millennials and even younger people to uh, work together. Okay. Well, we thank you so much, Craig, for being on the show with us and taking your time out during today. And uh, we ask that if you wouldn't mind maybe coming back next year and telling us more about what you have done with military families and what the progress has been and you know, and your thoughts on it, if you don't mind, uh, sometime next year. I'm uh, easy to find. Oh, I'm way too easy to find. <laughs> <laughs> well, Craig, thank you so much again, and we hope you have a wonderful new year with your family. Hey, you take care, folks. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, Jay, I have to say that was an amazing interview, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you know, and you know, I think it was a great interview, and it was wonderful. I was, I wanted to ask you to ask him, you know, why couldn't it be called Gail's List or Jay's List? I mean, why did he call it Craig? Like, hmm. But anyway, well, that's for another time. But it was a great. <laughs> 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 what a great you know, interview. I, I, I do. You know, I love the fact of one of the things I love that you don't often hear is that, um, you know, people owning where where they are, you know, where their skill set is, you know what I mean? And one of the lessons I think we can take away from this interview with uh, Craig is that, Jay, if you listen to him, you shared about, you know, this is my forte, this is what I'm great at, and I left it for the folks who are great at something else, you know what I mean? Right. So I think, I think that's, that's very powerful because most often, you know, when we're entrepreneurs or even working nine to five, we all really try to do it all. You know what I mean? We really do. And I don't always think that that's, uh, that's going to be the best place to go from, you know? So, you know, I think that's uh, for our audience out there, for our entrepreneurs, you know, we had Elisa Camahort on, if you remember, uh, a month or so ago from Blogger, and she knows media, and mm-hmm. she talked about entrepreneurship, if you remember, Jay, 
for women? And, you know, that is a question I forgot to ask Craig that I really wanted to ask him that we didn't get a chance to, and I know you had another one, which was what did he think about women in entrepreneurship? You know what I mean? Right. Right. So I, I think that's really pretty good. You know, Jay, we have a caller here, and let's find out who this caller is. What do you think? Okay, let's go for it. Well, caller, you are on live. Can you tell us your name and what state you're from? Hello? I don't think the caller wants to share who they are, Jay. Uh, well, you know, it's okay. <laughs> it's Okay. <laughs> Well, we'll, we'll, we don't mind you staying there. So, you know, one of the other uh, things, uh, Jay, that we're also looking at is our next guest is Steve Garvan, and we're really just going to have a really open conversation, just Jay, I, and him discussing the music industry, the music business at hand. Are you ready for that, Jay? I am pumped up and ready to go. Let's do it. I know you are. You know, you know I, what I loved about this interview with Craig, you know, um, Steve will be with us shortly, but what I loved about this interview with Craig was that he has actually set us up to talk about this because, you know, we often think about music, Jay, as music, you know what I mean? But it is a business. Right. It is really a business. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, you know it, it, go ahead, uh, Jay, and, please. And I like that you said that because you know a lot of people don't know that you know there's 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 the music business and then there is the music entertainment business. They're two different things, and people get that confused. So I'm glad exactly. It is right because you know the music entertainment business is actually putting on the show, but then there's also the music (laughs) business, and then there's the music itself. And I don't think a, a lot of people realize that. Even in today with the streaming and everything that's going on, you know, I and I'm going to say this out loud. A lot of people are not going to like what I'm saying. I happen to love Spotify, so I'm a little concerned about you know this uh, the suit that's being brought against them and everything because I happen to think Spotify tries to do the best job they can. And Daniel Eck has often said you cannot satisfy everyone. You know what I mean? You just cannot. So I really. Um, I think they do the best job they can. I think Tidal does the best job they can. But I think what all of this is going to come down to is bringing, you know, sometimes you go so far, far forward, you have to come back a little bit, you know. And just as uh, Craig was on earlier, he has also been through the old form of the Internet into the new form of the Internet, you know what I mean? And using the Internet with philanthropy. But with business, you can do that. With music, as we talk about the music business, the music business is comprised of creative and also business itself. You know what I mean? So, Jay, guess who's on? We're going to get right into this with none other than Mr. Steve Garvan. Steve, welcome. Welcome. How are you? Thank you. you. Good, and a happy almost New Year's to all of you. Uh, I'm really looking forward to 2016. We are. Yeah. We are, too. And, you know, we were just discussing, Steve, that 2015 hasn't been a bad year. It's been a year of laying solid foundations. Would you agree? Yes. Um, we were calling it on the project that I have a call after this one on. We set the stage the last few months for 2016. So that was exactly right. You know, yeah. So, you know, um, we wanted to do part two with you, Steve, because we know that 
information can't be gotten, you know, on the first 20 minutes of your interview. So we're going to just have an open discussion with you, Steve, together since all of us are, you know, on the business side of the arts as well as on the creative side. You know, one of the things, Steve, that Jay and I were just discussing was the fact that um, there's the music business, there's music entertainment business, and then there's the music itself, which is a creativity part of it. So I'd like to throw this out to Steve, you, and to Jay. But, Steve, we'd like you to start out first. This is my statement in question. You know, we had an artist by the name of Tess Henley on okay. a very talented woman, one of the most talented women worldwide. She's almost like a Lisa Stansfield. But the reason why I compare the two, Lisa Stansfield is out of it. She's still in the business slightly. She does other things. Artists who have been very talented seem to, like, leave to the side, or like Alisa Fishers, who's a backup singer and makes millions a year and doesn't even have to come to the front, as they say, uh, 20 feet from mm-hmm. stardom that she was in. These yep. women, you know, Tess Henley says, I want to focus on my craft, but it's very hard to because I have to stay in, you know, I have to stay on my social media. I'm constantly touring, and it's hard. I'd rather focus on that. And throughout our whole interview with her, she felt like she was plagued with having to battle between her touring and her social media. So my question to you is, we found that social media while it's really great and it should be the person who is connecting, a lot of times the artist is spending more time on that. And with the uh, streaming of music, it's causing artists not to be able to gain an income flow from downloads or uh, um, units being sold. They have to tour more. Mm -hmm. We'd like to know your uh, opinion on that. And, Jay, after him, would you chime right in, please? I think you're sadly accurate. Um, you know, the social media work is, is by and large promotional. It may drive some people to your shows if you're touring. It may drive some people to purchase your music, for which you will get small recompense online, but you will get some. But the amount of time and effort it takes to do it um, is immense, especially when it is of primarily promotional value. But that seems to be, that's the current um, model for our industry that we're in. Um, And most these days, you know, it used to be three main legs of the stool for income, as you know, um, sales of physical units, um, touring and songwriting slash publishing. And now for most artists, the only meaningful, again, most, the only meaningful revenue stream is from touring. And if you're not doing that or not doing that extensively, it's very unusual to make really, really good money. There's a guy that we see at the Durango Songwriters Expo in California, who Adam Zelkund, who has done an amazing job with placements. He's had over 350 TV and film placements in the last maybe less than 10 years. But that's the exception, too. He's making a good living from that. But, um, again, that's the exception. And we've got to deal with the um, most of the artists that, uh, and how can they make a sustainable living? So the social media thing, how do you keep it in perspective and not overspend time and effort on it? That's really, really difficult because I think we would all recognize it's not going to bring much of a direct finance, a meaningful direct financial return. What about you? I agree with that. Um, you know, and a lot of the social media sites, they, block you from really reaching out to the multitude. So, for example, 
um, our friend would told me that he was using Facebook to schedule an event. Well, right. Facebook only allows allows you to schedule maybe 500 friends at a time to your event. So what if you have right. 5,000 friends or 10,000 friends? Well, it gets challenging. Now you got to make all these different event pages and all this stuff. And who has the time to do that when you got to rehearse your band and you got to get your stuff going? It's very hard. And Facebook is not the only one. I'm not going to call out any, uh, a lot of sites, but they block you from really reaching across the table. Um, opposed to when we had the old guard, the music industry was in the glory years. The music business could reach across the table to the multitudes. Um, right. When you had the brick and mortar stores and you had um, the uh, the nice trade shows and, you know, all these great things. I remember, um, Gail, one day I was doing the WEA convention and all the record companies were there looking at their acts and promoting the acts. And it was a wonderful time. But now we don't live in that time. So it's very hard for one single person to try to promote themselves when they can't reach across the table. That's a big, big, big problem. And it's, it, a lot of people give up, and they get, you know, it's heartfelt. You know, they just say, oh, it's too much, I can't do it. Um, it that's some of the challenges. Also, you know, with the access oh, – go ahead, go ahead. No, no, please, uh, Steve, would you please go? Okay. With the access, even if it's in increments through Facebook or other social media, you think you're reaching people – but in reality, a lot of times, you're only really reaching, shall we say, those that want to see it respond while they're flipping through their 10 or 50 or 100 Facebook posts and things. It's not Probably. really direct engagement. It's communication, but it's not direct engagement. And fan engagement has always been, to me, one of the cornerstones of meaningful um, career building. Well, you know, that's right. <laughs> absolutely right. But now, if we bring ourselves into the way people consume things today, both J yep. and C's, the way people consume things today is on online. And it's a funny yes. thing because what's happening right now, there is something that's happening in society-wise. That you know, human beings are we're funny creatures. We are creatures of habit. Now, while we love technology, we don't like to be dictated to. And so, right. people are trying to find the balance now. And while they're finding the balance, the technology companies are coming even harder because they don't want to lose that control. Here, herein lies, you know, my next question to you. I think that social media, depending on the social media sites you use, can be a benefit. We also have to deal with yes. that both older and younger generations are using social media to connect more other countries, other places. So it can be used, but it's also yes. like um, interaction between two people. If you and Jay decide that you're going to interact with each other between nine and five, you trained each other, not like as animals, but trained each other that we can talk between nine and five, but after that, Jay, and after that, Steve, I'm not available. If we can train our fans to connect with us at that time, it's important. Also, you know, the selfies, those are great, but what about connection one-on-one, -on -one, as you said? The other thing is because we're in a society that's, you know, definitely technology-driven, we love technology, we don't want people to think that, our attention span and our patience, which is studies, these studies are out <laughs> to prove this, it's very, it's, it's minuscule. We don't have patience. We want everything right away. Technology right. has fueled that. So what I come back to you again with, Steve, is what can we do when we have that kind of attention span and then we have streaming sites that are also beckoning in with that technology to give us what we want 
immediate gratification, which is streaming, and get our fans to understand that while streaming is great, you need to pay for what you're getting so that the artist makes a living. You can continue to uh, hear the artist, and the artist can also live a normal life like you without being away from their families all year round touring. See, this goes really deep into not just a touring artist and technology. It goes into the artist having a life like a normal person. It goes into the right. fan consuming music like a normal person and listening to the streaming and having the technology at hand and allowing that artist also time to interact with their fans. So it becomes like an engagement that we enjoy, not one that we know we have access to all the time. So those are my, uh, those are my thoughts out there, and I would love to know, Steve and Jay, what you think about that. Well, you've hit on a couple of things. Another thing is time zones. Yes, it's great that information can be immediately shared, you know, all over the place, but people's lives aren't necessarily that way. They're governed by time zones, by work schedules, family schedules, other things like that. And that's a factor sometimes. The other thing is um, I, I really think that um, – there's a there was a recent very recent thing in the last couple of days, and some of you probably read the Tricordist, which is David Lowry from formerly of Cracker. Um, he's very opinionated, but some of the things he has to say are really spot on, and I'd recommend you guys search out the recent um, post on Tricordist, T-R-I-C-H-O-R-D-I-S-T, because in, there's one in which he wrote a deeply impassioned, well thought out letter to a young woman who works in a music store and um, and some statements she had made about paying, not paying for music and things. And it's really, really well worth reading for its thought-provoking specifics and some suggestions he makes. And I think it's a, a really great thing. So I hope you don't mind that I suggest everybody check that out. Um, I, I think we're in still in the wilderness of this. We are seeking as a society uh, quick, convenient, easy, simple. We're not interested in in-depth things for most people. Um, that's the way our technology moves, our information flow moves, our communication, and therefore our music and goods that we deal with. And um, so I think we're still in a transitional phase here. And I think this whole conversation, Gail, very importantly, seems like we're trying to see a little bit ahead and see what do we think can happen so that musicians can have a life can have a sustainable middle-class income, which harks back to what we talked about last week. Jay, your thoughts? Well, I, I want to talk a little bit about the event of uh, downloading free downloads in torrents. And, and the, our music society has been taught that music is free. I mean, that's we have to change the whole culture now because basically through that whole period of time, um, 2000-ish, 1999, 98, you know, all these downloads, Napster and all this stuff. So everybody, even the young kids that's grown up, they might be 16 or 20 now, they were all taught that you could just go to YouTube and just, you know, grab this, the audio file and you don't have to pay for nothing and it's free. And until we change that thinking, um, there's going to be a lot of witch hunters as far as people will not support the industry, because they say, well, I can just go over here and get it for free. I just want to listen to it for a little while, Gail. I don't want uh, Steve. I just want to hear a little bit of it. I don't need to really buy it. So that's a big problem. We have to change that culture. And then once we change that, and it's changing slowly, but once we change that, 
And they realize that it's a business, like you were talking, the entertainment business, the music business, and, and our livelihoods. You know, we, we want to be able to you know, feed our children and pay our mortgage, you know, musicians and managers and producers. But once we change that, um, it'll be great. And the same problem is with the movie business, where you got all these deterrents and they're, they're, people are not supporting, you know. And if we don't start, the whole system is going to collapse. So hopefully um, – we need to get that out there to the public. I think you're right on. Again, that letter from about the tricordist addresses some of those issues too. And some people say, well, people expect it for free now. How are you going to change that? Well, I think you've hit on it. Education is a part of it because there's got it. it there's not going to be a broad and deep music industry available for artists if there's not some change brought about. I sent Gail, I think, the Portishead thing that came out yesterday where they had 34 million streams and got $2,500. Now, that's Whoa. a double bad, double bad story. The first part is they only got $2,500, which is ridiculous for 34 million streams because, anyway, it's obvious. <laughs> the other part is um, uh, a guy who knows his stuff did some other calculations and actually the amount that would have been paid out for those streams was over $70,000, which still doesn't seem like a lot to me for $34 million. But what that underlines is that's how bad the uh, contracts or agreements are between Portishead and whoever is grabbing off parts of that money once it's paid out. Because if they got 2500 and it should have paid in the neighborhood of 70000 that's the second big problem. Hmm. <laughs> Well, you know, here, here's a question I have for you, Steve. You know, as our guest today, you are in the International Music Management Forum, okay? You're one yep. of the, the people there who helps to lead this worldwide. So we had Craig, you heard, I'm sure you may have had a chance or may not uh, have a chance to listen to Craig Newmark earlier. He gives back. He has been able to stay grounded as an everyday person and give back. All right. He's yep. gone through the whole technology revolution. That is someone who's grounded. All right. How do we, within the arts overall, right? One of the things yep. he talked about was journalism. So we can use journalism and responsible journalism at that. He's very committed to that and social media, but he's committed to it in a way that is integrative, makes a difference. And this, whether we like it or not, this is where that's 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 a statement we always hear. Whether we like it or not, but the way he shared it was a way that we can be responsible for it. So technology, Jay and Steve, can be used for responsibility. We can use technology to fuel the education, because we train each other. We train each other in how we treat each other on a daily basis. So we train each other in the industry. How can we retrain all across all generations, all ages? using social media and other things, you know, using old-school ideology and new-school ideology, Steve, from a music manager's point of view. Because, you see, from a music manager's point of view, Steve, you are the organization that is the heart and soul of both the, connect, the connection between the artist and the label. Would you share some of your thoughts and opinions on that with us, please? Hey, just um, briefly, um, I respect music is one. The, the struggle for... Um, terrestrial performing, radio rights, royalties to be paid out. But in terms of giving back and things too and using new technology both for music education but also combining it for social things like um, we're about to do a project with one artist with one song 
that's called Take Me Home, and it's all about, um, you know, it's partly about, like, people that might be serving in the military and coming home or missing their family and things like that. That's a way to combine technology with the distribution of of this music and the promotion of it, along with um, giving back, as I see it. But that's not directly related to the music and getting people to understand the value of paying for music. Um, That's a harder thing. Again, I direct you to I Respect Music, Blake Morgan's thing, but also to that recent thing in the Tricordist. I think um, as managers, we have to keep striving for some kind of equitable uh, remuneration and revenue streams um, so that artists can make a living, but also um, doing things at conferences. There's so many um, schools and universities all over the United States that teach the music business now. When I started, there were virtually none except for a few recording projects and stuff if you wanted to learn studio work and things. Now there's things you can get degrees in management. I have one colleague in Maryland who got the first ever doctorate in artist management from a university in England of a couple of years ago. And then he works now with um, helping teach younger people how to do that. One of my artists is a professor of music business at University of Colorado, Denver, and a lot of their focus with all these young people is on not just the structures in the industry, but the ethics, I guess you'd call it. And that's, I think, partly what you're getting at, that, Gail, is the ethics of understanding that um, creativity and work has to be in some way um, compensated for in any field, whether it's plumbing or writing books or being in politics or music or film. And... Um, You know, we're in a woeful situation now where it's so low and underpaid um, for most because even the superstars and huge superstars are making a lot less money than they used to make. And you might say, well, what's the difference between 15 million and 50 million? Well, in in proportion, that's still a big difference. Um, And I think that the managers across the board and in the MMFs and the IMMF globally are working, we talked last week a little bit about the um, UN position on global copyright, but I think there's got to become a stronger education component. I think I Respect Music is trying to do that, reach out to people of all ages, of all walks of life, and just the basic concept. I respect music, therefore I understand through education that it has to be paid for. Sorry, that's a quick answer. I know we're running out of time here. Right, and, 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 and you know, we have... Uh... One last question for you, um, uh, Steve, and this is actually for all of us. You know, um, Steve, how the music industry is so in in such different places, okay? Do you see anything wrong with artists, managers, um, producers, uh, anybody in the industry putting themselves out there, like really putting themselves out there on social media? Do I see anything wrong with it? Yeah. No, as long as you take whatever protective measures or parameters you need to do in relation to your life and your level of privacy, which does differ from artist to artist, um, because if you the more open you are on every aspect of social media, you know it 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 can backfire. But again, different. I think artists have different comfort levels of that. Um, I don't know if that's what you're asking, Gail, or yeah, no, no, that's it, it, it was based on your opinion. Um, is there any last words, that, uh, Jay? Do you have a last question for Steve? 
Yes, I had this uh, question. It's been sent in by a guest. He wants to know how and what is a doctorate in artist management, if it exists. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the quickest way I can think of is look up Richard Burgess. He's been for a number of years the um, marketing director of the Smithsonian's music program, but he also was a former artist and manager. He's the guy who got that. He's the only one that has it, as far as I know. He got it just a few years ago. I ran into <laughs> him at NARM, and he told me about it. Otherwise, I can remember when I'm back in the office later this week to look up some stuff and send it to Gail for contact, but he, he could explain it, and it's just fascinating. Um, but that's the quick answer to that. Wow. Well, we said, we thank he's, you so he's much. He's in Maryland. Or, yep. Yeah, he's in Maryland. Please go ahead, Steve. I was just to say, he's in Maryland if you're looking up things uh, near near D.C. because of the Smithsonian. Um, the other thing is, you guys, I think there are encouraging signs. Um, you know, sometimes those have to come through struggle, like lawsuits and things like that. But I think there are a number of people out there who realize that some of these wrongs have to be righted in the legal system and in the payment structure system. And I am encouraged about the future because music is such a wonderful and dynamic force for life, for love, for social change, for entertainment. It's, it's, that's not going to go away. So I, I'm confident we can figure out better ways forward. Well, thank you so, so much. And we feel great about the music industry as well. Sometimes, when things are, you know, in disarray as it is, it, it creates opportunities. Absolutely. So we thank you. And, you know, uh, Steve, we're going to have to have you back here next year so we oh, can cool. go okay. into more. <laughs> we're well, going to have to have you Mary, back. Thank you. I'd love to. Happy Mary 2016 to one and all. And I know that we're all committed to the passion and depth and value that is music. Thank yes. you so much, Stephen. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. You too. Well, you know, I think Jay, we've had an amazing, we've had an amazing interview today. Very insightful, very informative. Jay and I are going to just take, you know, ten further minutes out with our audience a little longer today, just to share about our thoughts on the music industry, our thoughts, you know, based on the interviews we've had the whole year, and you know where we're going. Um, you know, Jay, it's, it, when you look at the industry, like, you know, I, I'm kind of like between what you guys are talking about and technology. I think, you know, if we looked, if we looked at an overall plan right now, okay, you know, just from my perspective and your perspective, I think it starts out if you're someone who says, I want to go into the music industry, and a lot of times we want to get with the big entertainer or the big producer to bring us out there, all right? If you're a young person or even, you know, someone in their 20s, Jay, what do you think about uh-huh. this plan? You know, I start out, hey, well, now I have tech- – the great thing about technology is what I have available to me is I have my iPad. I can use, you know, GarageBand. You know, I can use so many other programs out there. Okay, you know what? I have my I have my MacBook. Pro or my Air, I or my you know my Dell, whatever, my Lenovo, whatever. I can sit here, go get uh, a mic, you know, throw down a demo. Okay, here's my demo. Now, who am I going to get it to? Well, you know what? With social media, I can get the one great. These are these are the areas where social media is great. You don't just connect with people to to connect with people. We can use social media to connect with the right 
producers, the right uh, people at A&R over at the labels. We also, as an artist, we, we often forget this. We always want something, but artists often forget to give something. So if that A&R person does not choose you for their label, what you can do as an artist is offer them some things of knowledge that's going on from an artist's perspective and create a relationship with them, but not a relationship just to get something. And I think that sometimes the artist mentality, Jay, is I'm going to create those relationships even on social media just to get something so that if you don't take my demo now, you'll take it down the road, which is why don't we cultivate relationships like we do one-on-one with our mothers, our fathers, our friends, or whatever. Cultivate those relationships in the industry so that you can share your knowledge. Artists forget that they're a business and that they can share their knowledge. So for me, the beginning stages, use social media to create connections where you can both as an artist or producer or creative share your creative information also with that industry veteran or that industry person that you want to connect with. Even if they say no to you, the no's you stop your relationship. No, the no, you should continue your relationship, not for another yes, but to cultivate that and see what may be created between you both down the road or you just may create a great friendship. What are your thoughts, Jay? I think everything you said is true. Um, I would just like to add that artists, you can't go to the neighborhood music store and all of a sudden think that you are Jay-Z or Beyonce or Drake. You need an artist manager. You need a someone who has the ties. So it's great to use social media to go and find these people that already have tons and tons like Gail, like you or me or any artist manager that are already well-connected for what you want to do and stop thinking you're on an island. You know, because some artists, they live in their own brain. You know, they write these songs and they think they're prints. You cannot do this by yourself. This is a billion-dollar industry in this means and means of things that has to happen for you to be successful in this business. And if you get a little success, you still really did good because it's very hard. Because it's all musicians are a dime a dozen. Everyone can play something or hum a tune or write. Now, that don't mean everyone can make a great tune or write, but there's a lot of talented, good people out there. So I think the best thing for a young, up-and-coming 20-year-old or 17-year-old is to find an artist manager such as Steve or somebody like you or, you know, and so they can grow. And, and you, you, like you said earlier, Gail, they might not be able to like your song when you first give it. Your first song might be a flop, you know, but don't give up. Still try to network with these people and go out and do your thing. Because if you stick to it, you will get where you're going. So now the other thing I think, Jay, I think where where we disagree, where we agree to disagree is, I think you should have a well connected manager. But with a well connected manager, you want a manager who can give you the time. I think you can sometimes it's best to have a manager who sometimes is not in the industry but who knows how to connect well. And I say that, too, it's depending upon the artist or the individual because sometimes the person who's not known will be will be ushered in and a new vital, bring a new vitality to the industry and to the artist. If you have someone who knows how to speak to people, you know, knows how to con- create connections, because at the end of the day, wouldn't you agree, Jay, an artist manager, not only the knowledge that an artist manager has, but it's also how they connect with the people around them. Am I right? 
Well, you want to get past the secretary. So I, I just I always, I'm old, I always believe you got to get past the guard. You can have somebody well, you, outside to help you. You can have somebody outside to help you, and that's okay. But you still got to have somebody the inside, and you got to have because see, you got to get past the sentinel. That's but the that's biggest obstacle to art. But that's what I'm speaking of. If, you see, a lot of times we can have the big name, and they may not get past the secretary. I found sometimes the biggest names do not get past the secretary. Sometimes the biggest names is the secretary, the person who she or he represents, doesn't want to talk to that big name. A lot of times it's the no name who will get past the secretary. A lot of times the no name who knows how to network well. You see, if you have a person who is in business, sometimes it's good, like, you know, if we brought someone like a Craig uh, Newmark in, into the music industry, he might do well, not because – He's already well-known, but because he's not as well-known in those areas, let's say. So he will get past the secretary because of the way he speaks, maybe the way he carries himself, the way he's networked. And that's the other thing I will say, too, something you just said, Jay, that's very important. I spoke about networking earlier. You want to network. You know, sometimes you think networking with the the big people. No, you want to meet everyone kind of in the industry who will share with you their honest opinion. And sometimes it's the secretary to the A&R person or it's the assistant to the journalist. Or, you know, you want to, like Jay said earlier, you want to build a tribe. You know, you definitely want to do that. And you want to interview the manager you, you have. Because, you know, Jay, another thing, too, could be that the manager could be a well-known manager or not a well-known manager. It doesn't matter. You could have a well-known manager who may not be good for that artist because their personalities are not a mesh. So I advise artists to interview their managers, not go looking for one, but interview them so that you understand what's needed. And, Jay, one of the things I wanted to share, and I know you're going to come chime right in on this, the importance of a manager and an artist sitting down. As someone who managed before, a young lady by the name of Serena Henry who went on to uh, uh, actually, uh, then now she backs up Smokey Robinson and and others I've managed. Um, And that was some years back. Um, What I want to say to that is Jay has also managed some young people who have gone on to do very well, some very well-known stars that we will not name drop here uh, because this is not what our point is here. But the importance of when you sit down with that uh, that manager, to you're you're going from let's say you're going from college and you have your degree and now you're stepping into the music industry. Well, you know what you need to do. You need to go over with that manager what it's going to take for you to pay your rent or your mortgage, your um, your bills for your your phone and all of these things. What is it going to take for you to pay that off? You need to create a budget, a monthly budget for two years out just in case it takes you two years to connect with your music and generate the level of income you need, what you're going to do to have that income coming in on a monthly basis and how the manager is also going to get paid for supporting you in that area. You also need to look at what the expenses are going to be, not only your household expenses that you're going to need to live, but how what your expenses are going to be for your everyday expenses with your career, what kind of work you may have to do while you're doing that, and also look at what you're planning for. It's an art, essentially an artist plan. And, and if your manager is going to be your business manager and your personal manager, or if you're going to have just a personal manager, who's your business manager going to be? Who's your lawyer going to be? Who are you going to hire as a publicist? 
or who are you going to support with that? These are areas that you need to have as an artist plan, whether you're an art, a singular artist, a band, or even a manager's plan. And the manager should have a plan if they're managing more than one artist, who that's going to be and how they're going to plan out all their artists so that they have someone working with them that allows attention to be focused and have a focal point on the the result and the success of all their artists. So, um, you know, Jay, did you have any last thoughts on that before we close out our show? I think, you know, anything is possible in this business as we are now. But I know um, managers and producers, they get paid when the, when they get paid a commission. So for a, a manager like you or me to spend a lot of time concentrating on artists that with, you know, no track records means the manager or the producer is not making any money. So who's going to pay the manager bills? You know, you've got to make lots of phone calls. And it's all kind of stuff that goes on. It's not as easy as people think. You know, everybody thinks, oh, I could be a star. Well, well, you probably could. But I think the best thing is for the artist to have a camp of people who know what they're doing. And yeah. you can do anything. You, you can do anything. You can try anything, all the things and suggestions that we have said here. But the team that you choose is where you end up. You well, get that's what you pay for. Exactly. And that's why we've stated, Jay, both of us have stated emphatically that you have to interview your team. You see, you can have a team, Jay, like we've stated, but you have to interview that team to make sure they're a match for you. Like we just spoke about, that artist plan has to include the manager, the lawyer, the publicist, um, the touring person who's going to help you tour. You know, even the social – now you need a social media person with you. You know what I mean? So and you need somebody, oh, and, and you need somebody like you need somebody who knows the lingo because there are certain keywords and sentences. You know, when you're dealing with um, royalty issues and compulsory license and copyright infringements and recording costs, you need somebody who really, really knows. So I just want to inject that because you can't just get somebody just I want to be a manager because I like your music. That doesn't really work. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. And you know, Jay, another thing that you really have people really have to realize. This has come up with some of the artists I've spoke to in the last couple of weeks. You and, and it's not just artists. I've also spoke to some tech companies, too, because Jay and I deal in a multitude of industries. And one of the things that we find people really, really need to learn about is copyright. You know, um, there's the Burn Convention, knowing who is under the Burn Convention, because in some countries it's just a matter of when you write the song and, you're, you know, that's considered copyright. And U.S. law does not apply there. But there are some, you know, there are some countries that belong to the Berne Convention that anything that you've written as a song also applies uh, across the board. So you need to know those territories. You can't just go out and put a song. You need to understand that your aggregators for your uh, music online, you need to find out whether their fees include also the, um, the publishing as well. You also need to understand your publishing. You need a manager that understands your publishing, but you as the artist or art or the band needs to understand your publishing foremost first, even before bringing that manager on. You need to spend some time doing your homework, you know, and, you know, at the end of the day, as Jay said, who is your team? But also having, you know, Jay, really having that artist plan out because you can have a whole team, and if that manager doesn't know how they're getting paid, and this is where I say it's on the onus of the manager, the producer, and the artist individually to have a plan of action of how they're going to be compensated and compensate their the members of their team. 
The manager needs to have a plan of their own so that they know what their boundaries are, as you've just stated. You know, with anybody in life, if they don't have a plan, they won't succeed. And I'm not saying it needs to be so perfected, but as even Craig shared with us earlier, he seemed to have known where he hit his threshold and where he went on to giving back. You know what I mean, Jay? And that, I think that's an important thing. So last words, Mr. Logan, before we go on to the new year and also introduce your, your new song coming out. Yes, we are so excited. Um, Listen, Gibbs, Savoy, Laundry Nine Records, uh, Patent Leather, and we're presenting uh, Mikhail Morgan. We're releasing our brand new spanking. They have to use that word. You know, nobody used that anymore. Brand new spanking video, You Make Me Feel Mighty Real, uh, who was, was originally recorded by Sylvester, who had a big hit in the 80s and was a great star here in San Francisco. We're bringing him back. And we will be releasing this tomorrow. We want everybody to stay tuned with uh, with the help of Listen, Give, and Savoy and Lounge Renown Records. Um, it will be out. So stay tuned for this brand-new video produced by Osa Kuhn. And it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful video. Jay, will you tell people where they can also purchase the music, please? You can purchase the music on iTunes, or you can go to Rhapsody or Amazon.com. You can support us, uh, we are doing things with the kids, and when you see the video, you'll see what we mean about working with diversity in the kids, how we do here at Listen Give. Uh, we are helping all the children of the world make this place a better place. So iTunes, guys, go on over there and um, you know download the album, Patent Leather, Treasure. Okay, so we want you all to remember that's Patent Leather, and the new song coming out is You Make Me Feel Mighty Real. It's a song of give back. It's a song that is fueled with passion of youth. And so with that said, we are so grateful, so grateful to have this happen. So everyone, have a rocking new year. And Jay, as always, next year is going to rock out. So 2016, here we come next year, guys. Thank you. I'll call you you next year. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jay. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.